You're listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today we are finishing up our series called History, His Story, His Story, History. And as we look at the story of God, we are discovering God's relationship with humanity through these five aspects, uh, the creation, the chosen, the Christ, the church, and the comeback. We've already gone through the creation, the chosen, the Christ, and the church, and today is the comeback. In the first week, we looked at God the creator and his most prized creation, which is us. The second week, we looked at the chosen people of God. Uh, it, it's the Hebrews and how through them the whole world might be blessed. The third week, we focused on the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And then the fourth week, we looked at how Jesus instituted the church. It was part of his plan. And, and just in case you don't realize this, the church's job is to populate heaven. That's what we're supposed to, that's what we're called to go. go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are to populate heaven. And today we're going to finish up this series with the comeback. Recently on a Wednesday night, I made mention about a film series that we would occasionally watch while I was growing up in church. I, I, I was born into a pastor's home. It's all I ever knew. So I grew up in church. And I don't know how many of you in the room, there were only a few of us on that Wednesday night that I mentioned it, but how many of you in the room have ever watched a Thief in the Night film series? Has anyone, anyone in the room, you know what I'm talking about, Thief in the Night? Okay, there's <laughs> only about seven of us, that's okay. Um, there, there's, there's four films in this series. There was A Thief in the Night, A Distant Thunder, Image of the Beast, and The Prodigal Planet. And all of these films were released between 1972 and 1983, and they depicted the, the rapture and the great tribulation that is to come, okay? Now, think about that time frame. They were released between 1972 and 1983. If you go watch these movies, and you can find them on YouTube now, with complete with Chinese subtitles, you can find them. Just understand that... Technology has changed quite a bit. When I recently went back just to see and just to view it, I wanted to kind of refresh my memory. I did not watch the whole movie, A Thief in the Night. I, I couldn't take it. I really couldn't. But it, it sparked some memories. I, I remember because we would walk into church either on a Sunday night or Wednesday night. Usually, usually there was, there was no warning. Even though my dad was the pastor, he, he didn't forewarn his, his, his own children you would walk into church, and in the main sanctuary, in the middle of the room, there would be an old reel-to-reel projector. That was the film. They would rent the film, order it in, and churches would play it, and there would be a screen on the stage. And they'd turn out the lights and start this movie. And from the very beginning, oh, it was rough. It, 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 it was not, I was not ready. I think I probably watched the first one when I was five years old. And I was not ready for it. It, it was intense. And uh, these movies, these movies was, would, would scare the literal hell out of you. Like there's no hell in you when you're done. You're, 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 you're blood bought because by the end of it, you're ready to pray. Uh, and, and, and so it was, it was rough. Well, 
I need you to understand, I'm not here to scare you today. Even though the scripture says some will be pulled from the flames because of fear, that's not my goal today, okay? I'm not here to scare you. I'm not here to bring some, some you know, end-time proclamation to you. Um, I, I'm, I am here to clarify what we as believers should be looking forward to. What I'm going to share with you today is good news to those of us who are believers. And, and this is what we need to be looking for. I want you to turn to John chapter 14. Scriptures that I've taught from many times, John chapter 14. I'll be there in just a moment, but I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. And then we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians, which is going to take you a little bit longer to find. So I'm giving you a heads up on that one too. But what I want you to realize is that at the end of of Jesus' earthly ministry, when the time had come for him to sacrifice his life for the sins of humanity, he told his disciples that he was going to leave them. This was big news. This was shocking news. I'm not sure the disciples were mentally prepared for what Jesus was telling them. It was traumatizing to say the least. And and for three years, Jesus had been everything to them. Everything. They they dropped everything to follow him. He became their everything. Uh, I mean, the, the scriptures say that the fishermen dropped their nets. They left it all behind to come and and be a part of the ministry of Christ. And for three years, they traveled with him. He was their healer. He was their provider. He was their comforter during times of trouble. He was everything that they needed, and they walked with him, and and the whole time they were gleaning from Jesus. He, He was discipling them because he knew what he was going to do with the church, which I've already talked about it two weeks ago. Um, But the question comes, what would they do without Jesus? What were these disciples going to do without Jesus? So sensing their concern and their anxiety, um, Jesus, in, in an effort to calm their concerns, he begins to explain. This is where we pick it up. John 14, verses 1 through 6. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Let's stop right there just for a moment. Let's just pause. This is the first mention of a rapture, which means a, a, a gathering of the believers. Okay? Jesus said, I'm leaving for now. But I'm going to come back, and when I come back, I'm going to get you. Verse 4. He says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Bold words. It's a bold proclamation, church. He said, Thomas, you know the way. He said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I was invited this past Friday to speak at the Newberry High School Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA. Um, And honestly, honestly, if uh, if, if I'm being transparent, I really thought those days for me were over. 
Well, obviously, when I was a youth pastor, I used to speak at FCAs in whatever community I was in quite a bit. My, my youth group at the, the church in Tampa that I was at, we had 22 schools represented in our youth ministry. I was constantly going from school to school speaking at FCA or, or Christian clubs. But I recognize where I'm at in my life. I, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with it. You can't say anything to hurt my feelings about it. I'm old. I know. I'm, I'm getting old. And uh, I, I'm not that, that young, cool pastor in town. Some people don't think I ever was the young, cool pastor in town. But I was young at one time, okay? I'm not that guy. I, I get it. And I completely understand using younger pastors and, and youth pastors that are more relevant to our high schoolers. And so I get it. But the leadership of our local chapter of, of FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, they had an assignment for me. And I love this. They wanted to start a new series, and they want each speaker to speak on this topic, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And their reasoning behind that is they're wanting to increase biblical literacy and understanding among students. They just don't want to take for granted that they all know what they may know. And I love this concept. And, and I was the first one out the gate. This Friday, they, they started a brand new series. They advertised it on, on their social media. And, and, and I was the one that got to, to start it, which, which is great because that means I can preach whatever I want to and everybody else has to follow me. So I, I wasn't concerned with it at all. Um, and, and I stood on that gym floor Friday morning and I explained to those students that culture is trying to convince us that there are many ways to heaven. Like, there's numerous ways that you can get there. Many roads lead to, to this paradise, to this, to this heaven. And, and I made sure, as I stood there in front of those students, I made sure that they knew that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the truth, and that he is the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Church, we are living in an age of apostasy. There are pastors and preachers, and listen, you'll never hear me bash another church or another pastor from, from the pulpit, okay? I will not call them by name. But we have to be alert, okay? We have to be alert. We've got to know where we are and where our families are at. And there are pastors and preachers that are becoming motivational speakers that cater to culture rather than the cause of Christ. Church, if you're here, if you're here and you're hoping that I will just cave in to the cultural pressures, you're at the wrong church because I believe in the inerrant word of God. I believe this is the truth and I'm going to live my life by these standards and, and as long as I'm pastor of this church, I'm going to preach the truth of God's word and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I understand God is love and I understand grace and mercy, but I also understand that there's some changes that have to take place in a person's life once they come to know the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Trust me. Trust me. I have witnessed the abuse of legalism and man-made rules surrounding religion and specifically Christianity. I've seen it firsthand. I have been held accountable to ridiculous guidelines that are not biblically based. 
But what we can't do is water down the gospel to be accepting of people's sins just because it makes them feel better about their sin. If the Bible says we must, that, that we must do it, then we must do it, right? If the Bible says don't do it, then, then we must not do it. If the scriptures call, call it sin, then church, it is sin. It's not up for negotiation. We can't manipulate the gospel to make people feel better in their lifestyle. Yes, Jesus ate with sinners, but Jesus had a purpose for eating with sinners, and it was to call them forth out of their sin. He was not comfortable with leaving them there because he knows that cannot lead to eternal life. And so his whole purpose for befriending sinners was to bring them out of that lifestyle, not to conform to their lifestyle. Biblical truths cannot be ignored. And if the Bible, even Jesus himself states that he is coming back to receive his church, you bet the farm on it. He's coming back, and the second coming of Christ is imminent. The first time, Jesus came as a baby, mild and meek, but the second time, the scripture says that he's going to show up with fire in his eyes, and he will be destined and determined. He's coming to get me. He's coming to get you. He is coming to get his bride to, to claim his church and to take us to where he is. As we look at the history of God's relationship with humanity, I need you to understand that the next event that will take place in the course of human history will be the rapture of the church. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, church. The rapture of the church is the next thing on the timeline. Hear me, church. Hear me. The next major event to happen in human history will be the rapture of the church. So let's talk about that word rapture because it is controversial. The word rapture means the taking away or together. When Jesus comes back, he is going to, to gather his church and he is going to take them. So the question comes to our minds. When will the rapture take place? When is it going to take place? Well, the one thing that Jesus never said to his disciples was, when it was going to take place. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 24 and 36, Jesus said, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So God the Father is the only one who can determine when Christ comes back to receive his church. But there's some good news with this. Now, listen, we can debate this, and I've told our Wednesday night crowd as we're going through the book of Revelation right now, I've told them, I said, listen, I, I can show you scriptures on pre, mid, and, and post-tribulation rapture, okay? There, there's scriptures to support all of it in here. Um, I, 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 I know what I believe, and I'm about to teach you what I believe. And when you become the pastor, you can teach me what you believe. But then if I don't like it, I don't have to come back, right? But, but understand this. Understand. I'm not claiming that I have all of eschatology and end times figured out. Matter of fact, if you know me, you know that I'm probably that pastor that admits more than others, that there's a lot of things in the end times that I don't understand. And quite honestly, I think there's a lot of people that think that they know it and they're writing a lot of books about it and making a lot of money about it that I, I don't think they understand it either. It's okay. It's okay for us to speculate. But one thing we cannot do is create doctrine out of it when we don't have biblical proof, okay? But hear me, hear me, because I want to show you something History tells us, it proves to us, 
that God will always take his people out before he brings destruction. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10 says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. He delivers us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come will be the great tribulation that is mentioned in the book of Revelation. His, his track record speaks to this. Think about it. Lot, Old Testament. Lot and his family. God took them out of Sodom and Gomorrah before he brought destruction upon Sodom and Gomorrah. You think about Noah and, and his family. God had him build an ark for, for he and his family and, and the animals to, to enter into the ark. And God himself closed the door of the ark before he brought worldwide destruction through a flood. You, you have to think about Rahab. Rahab, who lived in Jericho. She was not a Hebrew. But God took Rahab and her family, her mom, her dad, her, her siblings, took her and her family, rescued them out of Jericho before God brought destruction upon Jericho. It is God's nature to save his people by calling them out before the wrath of judgment. Church, I wholeheartedly believe that this is what Jesus will do for all believers. All who call on the name of Jesus to be saved, he will bring them out before the days of tribulation. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. What is he saving them from? He is saving them from the days of wrath. He's saving them from the great tribulation. I know where some of your minds are at right now. And I'm going to deal with it in just a moment, okay? I promise you. I'm not going to leave you hanging there. For those of us that are believers, this is great news. This is wonderful news. That, that Jesus is going to come back. His first appearance was when he walked this earth, born as a baby, and, 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 and he, he, he died on a cross for our sins, was resurrected, and he ascended to his throne in heaven. But... But when he comes back the second time to retrieve his church, he's going to do that before all hell breaks loose on this planet. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Pause just for a moment. Just, just leave it up on the screen. Let, let me address this. I, the thing I wanted to mention was that I know for us as believers, this is good news. But for some of you that you have prodigal sons, prodigal daughters... That have not returned to Christ yet. This information as, as good as it is. Can also be troubling. Because when you start talking about the great tribulation. And when you start talking about days of wrath. The last thing that you want. Is for your children to expect that. We're going to pray for our prodigals here in a few moments. And I believe in their coming home. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 17. Paul writes, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. Let me just stop right there. I like this because Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be unclear. With this subject I'm about to dive into, Paul says, I don't, I don't want you to be ignorant of what will happen. 
So Paul brings some clarity to it. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, <clears throat> about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the, trump, the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Here's a few significant truths that I think we need to consider today. The first one is this. When a Christian dies, Jesus said they are not dead, but sleeping. I think you could agree with me that there's a big difference between being dead and sleeping. You ever walked in a room and you, you found someone laying on the couch sleeping and they're, and they're like this? And you're like, they're gone. That's it. I mean, that's only for them to cough and you, you quickly put the life insurance papers away that you... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, Jesus said there's, there's a difference. He says they're not dead. They're just sleeping. If you remember in Mark chapter 5, there was a man by the name of Jairus. Um, he was a synagogue leader. And, and he comes to Jesus wanting him to heal his daughter. And Jesus agrees to go to his house and heal his daughter. However... En route to his house, there was a woman who was seeking her own healing from an issue of blood. And, and hearing that Jesus is there, she makes her way through this crowd that is pressing in around Jesus. And she grabs the hem of his garment so that she too can be healed. If I can just touch the hem of his garment. And, and she grabs it. At the moment she grabs it, Jesus feels this healing virtue flow out of his body. He stops, and in the middle of this crowd, he says, who touched me? His disciples look at him and say, are you kidding us? Look at how many people are standing around. How are we supposed to know who touched you? And, and eventually, there's, there's, uh, he searches her out, and he, he brags on her faith. But while all of this is happening, people come up to them, and they tell Jairus that his daughter is dead. While Jesus seems to be wasting time trying to find someone that, and identify someone that just, just touched his garment, just touched his robe, Jairus' daughter dies. They continue their walk. They proceed to the house of Jairus. And when they arrive there, there are people who are weeping and wailing loudly, just, just mourning as they most likely should. In what appears to be an insensitive moment in Scripture, Jesus said this in Mark 5 and 39. Now listen, he said, it says, And when he entered, when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Understand this, church. They checked her pulse. They probably held their finger underneath her nose to see if she was, it was breathing or not. This girl, by our standards, was dead. But when Jesus saw her, he said, she's not dead. She is only sleeping. Obviously, Jesus does not see death the way that we see death. Here's the concern. While we are waiting on the return of Christ, what happens when our friends and our family members 
who believe die? That was the question. That's what Jesus, or, or, or that, that, that's rather what Paul was having to address. Paul was having to say, I need you to stop worrying about those who are in Christ, who have found him to be their Lord and, and their Savior. You don't need to worry about their eternity. They were really concerned about if, if they die before the return of Christ, will they be included? Uh, will they miss his return? Or here's the big question. What if I die? Hey, Paul, what if I die before he comes back? What, what if I die before his return? And Paul said, I don't want you to be worried about this. God's got all of this figured out. How many of you are thankful God's got it all figured out? Man, even when I don't have a clue, God's got it all figured out. With all of my questions, a million and one of them, God has the answer for everyone. Whether he shares it with me or not is none of my business. But God has the answer. And then I love this. Paul said, and, and about those who have, have gone on, those who have, have gone to sleep in Christ, he says, I want you to grieve, but I want, I want you to grieve with hope. You see, church, there's a difference in grieving with hope and grieving without hope. I lost my father over three years ago. There's still days that I find myself grieving. I do. But I grieve with hope. I do. I grieve with hope. I, I, I said this at my dad's funeral, and I, I think it bears repeating right now, but there's only one lie that my dad ever told me that I'm aware of, only one lie that he ever said. And he didn't just say it to me. He said it to everybody he came in contact with. My dad always said that he was never going to die, that he was going in the rapture. He wholeheartedly believed it. Well, let me tell you, my dad is not dead. He's just asleep, and he's going in the rapture. I promise you that there is going to be something that takes place when my dad hears that trumpet sound. Now listen to this. Listen to this. When Jesus returns, those who are asleep are coming back with him. Listen to what Paul wrote again. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, <clears throat> God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This is important. Those who have fallen asleep, they have passed from this life they are going to come back with them. If your loved one called upon the name of Christ to be saved, they are already with him, and they will return when he returns. 2 Corinthians 5 and 8 says, Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. You see, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. But what you have to understand is that you cannot get there in your current mode of transportation. It doesn't work. You can't get there in your current mode of transportation. I, I'm a Jeep guy. If you've, if you've known me for very long, you know that I'm a Jeep guy. I, I currently own my third Jeep. My first Jeep was a 2007 Jeep Wrangler two-door. Uh, my second one was a, a 2007 four-door JKU. I'm now on my third Jeep, and it, it's a Gladiator. Some of you don't claim that they are Jeeps, but they are. And, um, but my, my, my last Jeep before I bought this one, it, it, it was a good Jeep. It, it, was, it was running good, but it had 228,000 miles on this thing. And my, my schedule, my, my speaking schedule and just places where I needed to travel and be at and, and stuff, it had increased pretty drastically this past year. And so I knew that I didn't need to be on the road with a Jeep that had 228,000 miles on it. So I, I didn't feel like that current mode of, of transportation was what I needed to get me to where I needed to go. 
1 Corinthians 15 and 50. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The imperishable. You will not experience the presence of Jesus at your death in this current body. Understand that. You will, now, some of you are okay with that. You're like, have you seen me? Yeah, I'm perfectly fine with that. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. But you do need, I don't care how great of shape you think you might be in, <clears throat> you need a different mode of transportation to get to heaven. But watch this. Watch this. Verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay. This seems conflicting, right? I just told you a moment ago, they're coming back with him. Now it's saying they're going to rise. Which one is it? If the dead are in Christ, those that are sleeping are coming back with him, who are the ones that are rising from the dead? Are, are they in the grave or are they in heaven? Are they six feet under or are they, you know, in glory? What we have to understand is that when God made Adam, <clears throat> he first made the flesh. He was not alive yet. He took dirt and he began to form him and he made the body of humanity. Therefore, you have a body and you have a soul because when he breathed into him the, the breath of life, he breathed into him the spirit that was within man. The body needs the soul to live, but the soul does not need the body to live. Does that make sense? I, I want you to get this. The body needs the soul to live. Otherwise, we're as good as a clump of dirt. The body needs the soul to live, but the soul does not need the body to live. And when you die, your soul immediately goes into the presence of the Lord. When Jesus comes back to retrieve his church, he is bringing with him the souls of all of those that died in him. And it doesn't matter if you were buried or burned in a casket or in an urn. The transformation that will take place will be supernatural. These old, worn-out bodies will be made new. That should make somebody excited right there. There is a supernatural metamorphosis that's going to take place. And, and listen, I, I heard an old preacher one time, an old Pentecostal preacher one time that was preaching at my dad's church. And he was preaching, and, and he got in the middle of this, and he, he started addressing the concerns. Well, what if, what if my loved one has been cremated, and we scattered their ashes? This old preacher started talking. He got excited about it, and he said, yeah, what if? He said, scattered those ashes, a, a worm eats it, a worm finds itself eaten by a fish, the fish finds itself eaten by an eagle, and, and, and so forth, you know. And he said, what happens when the trumpet of God sounds? He said, well, that eagle's got to give up that fish. That fish has got to give up that worm. That worm has got to give up those ashes. And it's all going to come back together. And it's going to be in a glorified new state. And that body will be resurrected. You see, we believe in the supernatural. We don't have to understand how it happens. We just have to know that it happens. And he is going to make the soul, the spirit of humanity... And he's going to resurrect, <clears throat> excuse me, he's going to resurrect that body. And it's going to be a new glorified body like Christ was when he was resurrected. And they're going to meet. So yes, 
You, you're going to be beside yourself if you die before Christ comes back. You're going to be there and you're going to be here. This is the one that really matters. This is the one that's going to matter when they meet. And when they meet, and I don't know, somewhere in all that, I'm hoping I get to see my dad's soul and his glorified, resurrected body meet in the middle of all that. Don't, won't it be exciting for us just to see them alive and well in Jesus Christ? Amen. So don't worry about your loved ones who have already died knowing Jesus as their Savior. Paul said they're going to beat you to the party. They're, they're part of this before. We will not precede them to heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. You see, he's not leaving us out of this. If we are still alive, we too will meet the Lord in the air. And somewhere between here and there, our bodies will be made new. We will receive our glorified body. And I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. I have determined in my heart, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Some of the great songs of the church are about the second coming of Christ. And what you have to understand, church, is that I cut my teeth on the theology of songs about his comeback. And there's not enough preachers that are preaching about his comeback anymore. I'm not sure it's become a reality to this generation yet because we've stopped preaching it. And it's time that we start preparing our, our, our kids and our grandkids and probably our own souls for the return of Christ. It is imminent. It is going to happen. Whether you believe it or not, it is here in Scripture and Christ is going to return. But I, I learned about the return of Christ through some of the great old songs. Songs like Getting Ready to Leave This World. Anybody know that song? <clears throat> it said, I'm getting ready to leave this world of sorrow I'm getting ready for the gates of pearl. Keeping my record bright, watching both day and night, I'm getting ready to leave this world. Songs like, I'll fly away. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. Actually, we didn't say over. It was O apostrophe E-R. And we would sing it like, some glad morning when this life is o'er. And I don't even know what that means. But I'm going to fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. And one of my favorites, one of my favorites, oldie but a goodie, Midnight Cry. It says, Tim, I had every intention of singing this. There is no way right now, brother. There is no way. The word said, when Jesus steps out, on a cloud and calls his children. The dead in Christ shall rise to meet him in the air. And then those that remain will be quickly changed at the midnight cry when Jesus comes again. Listen, you can spend your days arguing eschatology and end times all that you want to. But the one thing that I'm certain of is some lyrics that my brother wrote in the mid-90s. When he said, I'm going up when he's coming down on his second time around. Jesus is coming back for those that are ready for his return and he will receive them. 
Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.